0: As you know, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit with a scripture reading like that, the former reign and the latter rain. And before we get going, I I wanted to share, we started our mental health seminar in Coshocton last week, and we um, we had about six visitors and six of their own members there, so that was nice. And we had, prior to that, six visitors to the diabetes, so... Um, so we have about 20 people to follow up with and continue to be able to study with and, and, uh, so we're very thankful for that. Um, so, well, let's have a word of prayer. Our father in heaven, we thank you that, uh, that we're more than forgiven. We can be empowered and we thank you for the wonderful work of the Holy spirit upon our heart who is working upon our heart before we ever even knew it. But we're thankful for the wonderful agencies of heaven that care about us. And the ability of the Holy Spirit is a perfect teacher, knowing just how to lead us, we give you thanks. And now, Father, we want to lay this sermon in your hands, asking that you would be uplifted and our minds would be directed heavenward. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Joel chapter two, verse three. All righty. So let's look at that verse again. I highlighted some, um, some of the words that we need to look at because these words actually have a pretty deep meaning there. Be glad, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain, which we also call the early rain. And if there's an early rain, there must be a what? A latter rain. Okay. And he will cause to come down for you rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. So you kind of see where I've highlighted former rain. And the word Hebrew word there is actually moreh, which actually means teacher. And you'd say, well, why did the King James say former rain instead of teacher? And it's because the verse is really about a latter rain. And then you must have a what? An early rain or a former rain. So that's why they put in former rain. Not because that's what that word means. It means teacher. But it gives us an idea what the early rain is about. Is that right? And also, the word moderately is actually from the tzedak, uh, the sedaka, meaning literally for righteousness. So the former reign moderately actually in the Hebrew means a teacher of righteousness. Because when you and I receive the Holy Spirit, what's he trying to do? Teach us about what? About righteousness. And we have to be taught of the Holy Spirit about righteousness before we could receive what rain? The latter rain. So it's very impor- important to be a learner and receive this information and and grow in your knowledge and experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ in preparation for the latter rain. Um, some are going to make a mistake and say, well, I'll just wait for the latter rain. But if we don't allow the early rain to do its work, Then the latter rain can't do its work, which is only to bring the crop to harvest. The latter rain isn't to start it, the fruit or the plant, it's to put the finishing touch on it. And so we want the the early rain, the former rain, to be this teacher of righteousness. And this word for rain, cause to come down for you, rain, actually is geshem, meaning downpour. And if we think about an early rain, when would have been the downpour of the early rain? It would have been the day of Pentecost, right? Where there was this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And prior to that, the disciples had received some drops of the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them. When they were hiding for fear of the Jews. We talked about that two weeks ago. But they were to wait for more of the Holy Spirit. They were to wait for the outpouring of the early rain. And boy, what did they learn? That was amazing, right? When they received that early rain, boy, they had 3,000 souls come in one day. They had no fear of preaching this message. They had been hiding for fear of the Jews. And now they just preach knowing that God would protect them, right? That they had a message to give to the world. What, a, what an education. And so the early reign does represent uh, Pentecost, But it also represents when any individual accepts Jesus Christ and is converted and receives the early rain. So the early rain is now going to begin the germination of that seed so that Christ can grow up in you. It's the beginning of the Christian life. But it continues that you mature by allowing the Holy Spirit to keep teaching about righteousness throughout your life. So you're preparatory for receiving the The latter reign at the end of time. Um, Let's look at this verse here in the book of Titus. Because it also is talking about the Holy Spirit doing teaching as well. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath what? It's appeared to all men. Does that mean everybody's saved? No. But God's grace has appeared to everybody. God's grace, and I would say the work of the Holy Spirit, is working on every human heart. Do you believe that? Now, we have to respond to that by faith. The Holy Spirit teaches, but by faith, we understand. Okay? We exercise our faith to understand what the Holy Spirit's trying to teach us throughout our whole Christian experience. And so, for the grace of God that brings us salvation has appeared to all men and it's doing what? What's the grace of God doing? Teaching. That's what God's grace is for. Some people say, I do this by the grace of God. And we use it kind of flippantly sometimes. But the grace of God is teaching people to do what? The right thing. Teaching them about righteousness. Because the power is in doing what's what? Right. You lose power when you do wrong. But we want the power of grace, the power of the Spirit to always do what's right. To follow in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So the the power isn't to speak in tongues. The power isn't to be performing these miracles. Not that these things don't happen. But the power, the greatest power you can have, is the righteousness of Christ. Okay. And so the the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, is teaching us to do what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly When? In this present world. No, there is a theology in the church and out in Christianity that we won't live a righteous life until we what? Get to heaven. But this verse says you need that righteousness when? In this present fallen world. And so the Holy Spirit can take us where we're at, right? No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we do it. uh, Can he teach that person? Absolutely. He can teach anybody. As long as a person's willing to enter into the school of Christ and by faith listen to God's word and believe by faith that what he reads he can experience and become. Because that's why that word's there. That when God says to Peter, you can walk on water, he can't do it by himself, but by faith he can. Okay? And so the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present fallen world, looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from what? All iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. This is exactly what the grace of God is for. And in many churches, grace is simply the unmerited favor where God simply only forgives you. That's the glorious beginning of the gospel. It's when God's unmerited favor receives you just as you are, but grace is a power to teach us to live righteously in this present fallen world so that Christ can present to himself a people peculiar who have been redeemed from all iniquity and are actually very zealous to do what? Good works. We want to do good works because we've been empowered by the grace of God, which leads us to do these things, not to be earning salvation, but to please God. The reason you want to be taught of the Holy Spirit every day is to please God in everything you do, which is the power that the Holy Spirit will always give you. If you ask for power to overcome something, will the Holy Spirit empower you? Okay. Let's go back to Joel 2, in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. That first part we read, Be glad, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, which means teacher of righteousness, and he will cause to come down for you that rain, that downpour, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And so we looked at the former rain, the early rain represents the new birth experience and our growth in Christ, and it continues. Once you've accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to keep trying to teach you to become like Jesus. Preparatory that the latter rain will then fall on you at the very end of time, and we'll get to that in a second. But let's look at a, a statement here about the early and fallen, early rain, mostly. The east, the former rain, or in the east, the former rain, falls at sowing time. You plant your seeds in the ground and if there's no rain, what happens to the seeds? They just don't germinate. And so at sowing time is when we receive the former rain when Christ is planted in our heart. It is necessary in order that the seed may germinate. Under the influence of the fertilizing showers, the tender shoot, it springs up. The latter rain, falling near the close of the season, ripens the grain and prepares it for The sickle. When Christ harvests the grain, what event is that? That's the second coming of Christ. And so as we grow in Christ, receive Christ, receive the early rain, the work of the Holy Spirit, we're growing up to be more and more like Jesus, preparing us for a time when he'll harvest the earth. He'll cast in the sickle because now it's ready. And the latter rain did its finishing touch. Sister White even calls a latter rain the perfecting latter rain. Because what it's trying to do is put that perfection, that perfecting touch on the saints of God in the very end of time. The Lord employs these operations of nature to represent the work of the Holy Spirit. As the dew and the rain are first given to cause the seed to germinate and then to ripen the harvest. So the Holy Spirit is given to carry forward from one stage to another The process of spiritual growth. The ripening of the grain represents the completion of the work of God's grace in the soul. By the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is the reason for it, the moral image of God is to be perfected in the character. Uh, We are to be wholly transformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, there's going to be a false revival in the end of time, and I think it's already somewhat begun. Um, And it's going to be connected with politics in this country. And people are going to think that uh, this is the out latter rain in the end of time because they're gaining political power and they're able to uh, enforce their religious beliefs. And they're thinking this is going to bring such a great revival in America and solve all our problems with immorality and stuff like that. But the problem with that is the reason for the latter rain is to perfect the character. But how can you perfect a character if you're imposing your beliefs on people? How can you perfect your character if you're all in favor and vote in a booth, pull down the lever that people can't buy and sell because they don't believe the way you do? Are you perfecting your character or are you perfecting a character to be more like Lucifer, right? Not like Christ. The, the reason for the latter rain, and this is what we got to look out for because some of us might wind up in our denomination, start seeing some revival out there, and we think it's true, but it might be false. Because it's associated with these false miracles, and they have all the power, and they've got the money, and you think God's with them, and then we can't buy and sell, and it's like, well, God left us. The key to what's true and what's what the real is the development of character. Because it's the only thing you can take to heaven with you. And the work of the Holy Spirit from day one, that you receive the early rain is the perfection of character in your life where God takes you just as you are, but he won't leave you as you are. He's got to perfect your character to represent and reflect the image of Jesus Christ. And he has to do this work. Why does he have to do that work? Because you know God's never made a mistake. All his plans are perfect, and since God created us in his image, he can't give up on that because God doesn't change. God has to find a way to take us and still do what? Create us in his image, which is perfect, his character. He says, look, I can perform the greatest miracle of all, something way better than parting the Red Sea. I can change you, but you got to let me do it. Okay, All you have to do is cooperate with me, and I can change you. You can't change yourself, but what you can do is, is exercise your power of choice. And if I say give up something, give it up. Because if you don't give it up, it's like weeds in a garden that keeps it hard for the true vegetable plant to grow. And every time we say no to what God wants us to do, we make it harder for us to develop the character of Christ. So God will never ask you to give something up that's to your benefit, to your spiritual benefit. It's only for the development for character. So in this test in the book Testimonies of Ministers five oh six the latter rain, ripening earth's harvest that tells us it's the end of time right, represents the spiritual grace that prepares the church for the coming of the Son of Man, but unless the former rain has fallen, there will be no life. Does that make sense? You know Jesus taught a parable that he cast seed and some fell on rocky soil and some fell. On... Well, if it falls on the rocky soil, is that seed going to grow? Why? There's no rain. It's not in soil to to begin to germinate. And so if a person remains in that spiritual condition, the latter rain will do them no good. Because there's never been this beginning of life already. Okay? The green blade will not spring up. Unless the early showers have done their work, the latter rain can bring no seed to perfection. And that's the key, perfection. And remember what their early reign is? It's the teacher of righteousness. God would never, ever teach you to do wrong. He would only teach you to do the right thing. And we see this in this sanctuary. They had to do everything right. Everything was specific. I mean, even the wood they put on the, on the altar, they didn't throw a log on the fall. They laid it perfectly. Every piece of wood... Had to be perfect. No wormholes, no insects uh, have affected It's perfect. Everything was exact. We serve a God of perfection, and He wants everything to be done properly. Unless we are daily advancing in the exemplification of the active Christian virtues, virtues we shall not recognize the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the latter reign. And this is what concerns me, and this is part of why we're still here. If there was enough Seventh-day Adventists who were daily advancing and being like Jesus, we'd already gone home. But something's happened where maybe we get a little too comfortable in the world and we don't have this zeal that everything we do is for the glory of God. But we need that. We need to have the Holy Spirit do his work in the latter rain of teaching and teaching and we keep growing and growing preparatory for the latter rain. But the latter rain will not fall until there's enough people who've experienced everything that's associated with the early rain. Is that right? So let's go back over this and now I'm going to talk about the first... The early reign, the latter reign, and I'm going to kind of compare it somewhat to the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is the first seal when we accept Christ, and then the seal of the living God, which happens at the very end of time, okay? At conversion, when do we first receive the Holy Spirit? Recognize that it's both a gift and a seal. Then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because they said, well, what must we do to be saved? For the remission or the forgiveness of sins. And then you shall receive what? As a gift. So when I give my sins to Christ. He takes them. It's his glory to take them. Because he doesn't want me burdened by them anymore. Because if I ask God to forgive me. But I don't forgive myself. And I keep thinking I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. Now I've got this burden on me. I'm not free. I'm only free. When I give my sins to Christ, I give even the burden of my sins to Christ. And this is why when the penitent would pray over the sacrifice in the sanctuary, he prayed leaning with all his weight, realizing that he needs someone to support him. Someone needs to carry the burden. And he's not only verbally confessing the sins, he's given the burden of the sin to Christ. So now he's truly free. And now God looks him in as if he'd never sinned. And when that happens, when a person gives their sins to Christ, they reach something and they get something back. They get a gift. What's the gift? It's the Holy Spirit. They get the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now, now that they're forgiven, they can now begin to live a, a new life. Now, notice what happens to people like in the New Testament throughout the Dark Ages. They received the seal of the Holy Spirit, uh, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. He's writing to the Ephesian church, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you believed, after you believed, you came to Christ, you were, past tense, what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so we just got to make sure we don't believe that there's only one seal, the seal of the living God in the end. Everybody who winds up receiving Christ receives the Holy Spirit as a gift can't earn it. But in receiving that gift, you're now being sealed. And the work of sealing of the Holy Spirit, as he's teaching you righteousness, he's trying to seal out sin and seal in righteousness. And it begins from day one, you accept Christ. Teaching, teaching, teaching as you read your Bible and your communion time with God. The Holy Spirit reveals things in your life so that you can give up the things that are unlike Jesus and then put on Christ. And the Holy Spirit's going to seal those things out that you gave to Christ and seal in as you put on Christ to keep those things in you. But you still have freedom of choice. But just cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he begins this. And if you go through your whole life, let's say you've been a Christian for 20 years. And every day you'd been advancing and you'd been allowing the Holy Spirit to seal out sin, bad thoughts, bad Tempers and things like that, and seal in all this, this new life. Wow, where are you going to be at the end of two years or 20 years, right? You're preparing, you're preparing to receive now the latter rain. Imagine getting to a point in your Christian life where all God has to do is just put a little perfection, perfecting touch on your character, and boom, it's ready to go. You waiting for that? We've got to be near that. Things are happening in the world. But God's not waiting for the world to get worse. He's waiting. He's working with us to prepare us for something. The latter rain. And to receive the seal of the living God. That's what he's waiting for. We'll get to that in a second. Look in the dark during the dark ages. This is under the seventh trumpet. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree. But only those men which have not received the seal of God in their foreheads. Now that's to imply that there are people who were living during this time who had the seal of God. Where? In their foreheads. Because they've been cooperating with the early rain. The Holy Spirit is teaching them righteousness. And they're now being sealed in their forehead as they continue to settle into truth. And they learn more truth. And they dig their roots further into the ground so as not to be moved, no matter what happens in the world, you see. And that's the work of the first seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit, preparatory to have a people who will stand at a time when you can't buy and sell and you got every earthly power against you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit now to prepare for that. And that's what he's waiting for. And the reason it hasn't happened yet is he knows there's too many of us that would be lost because we're not ready Not ready yet, or it would have happened. So let's look at the final seal, the second seal. I saw another angel ascending from the east. This is Revelation 7, verse 2 and 3. Having the seal of the living God. That's different than the seal of the Spirit. The seal of the Spirit is what you receive when you first accept Christ. But the seal of the living God is at the very end of time, probably the last thing that happens, as we'll see. ...before Jesus walks out of the most holy place. And I saw another angel ascending from the east... ...having the seal the living God... ...and he cried with a loud voice... ...to the four angels to whom it was given... ...to hurt the earth and the sea... ...saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea... ...nor the trees, till we have what? Sealed the servants of our God... in their, ...in their foreheads. Well, a sealing work of the Spirit... ...has already been going on, right? To seal them in the foreheads... ...to settle into truth... But he's got to wait for there are a certain group of people who've advanced enough so as not to be moved that he can affix the seal of the living God on them. And We'll get to that in a second. That's all he's waiting for. He's not waiting for the world to get worse. He's waiting to finally have that people, not an individual here or there, but a movement of people who can receive the seal of the living God. Okay. notice what she does uh, after Ellen White quotes Revelation 13 verses 11 through 17 which by the way is last day of events chapters 13 11 through 17 is when the second beast performs all kinds of miracles false miracles to deceive the world to receive the mark of the beast to worship the image of the beast To worship the image of the beast, the beast himself, and to receive his mark. That's what these verses are about. After she makes that statement, quotes those verses, she says this. This is the test. And what test is that? The Sunday law, right? The national, this is the test that the people of God must have before they are, which seal is this? It must be the seal of the living God, because all along God's people have received the first seal, of sealing in righteousness and sealing out sin. Does that make sense? There's two seals. So there's a sealing going on now to prepare us for receiving the seal of the living God. And that is the work of God perfecting us in Christ, that first seal, until you, in a way you've kind of earned, in a way, the seal of the living God. Not by money or by works, but you've arrived in your maturity in Christ. Okay? This is a test the people of God must have before they're sealed, the seal of the living God. All who prove their loyalty to God by observing his law and refusing to accept the spurious Sabbath will rank under the banner of the Lord God Jehovah and will receive the seal of the living God. Those who yield the truth of heavenly origin accept the Sunday Sabbath will receive the mark of the beast. So before we receive the seal of the living God, the second seal... We're going to have to go through the events of Revelation 13, verses 11 through 17. We're going to have to go through the time when the National Sunday Law is passed, and we can't buy and sell. And if you remain faithful to God, and you continue to walk in the Spirit, you will, in your faithfulness to God in that trying hour, that final test, He will fix to your forehead, not like a tattoo, nothing to be seen, but the seal of the living God. Now, I want you to think a little bit about that. The living God is the sovereign of the universe. You know, in um, it is the Webb Telescope. Webb Telescope found a galaxy that Hubble had no idea of. It was like 65 million or billion light years away. And of course, this really puts evolution in trouble because they thought our universe was only 18 billion years old. So when you see a galaxy out there that's 65 million or billion light years away, oh, that's a much longer period of time than the universe could have ever, in their mind, had existed. Do you imagine the infinite mind it would take to hold together things that are 65 billion light years away? It's mind-boggling. And that's not the edge of the universe. The seal of the living God is of the God who created everything. And he holds it together. And he actually has rules or laws. And in our little fallen world, where the world, most of the world, is going to wonder after the beast and actually worship the beast. Even if you didn't even know who the beast was, that doesn't sound right, does it? But to worship him who created heaven and earth. And the seal that represents worshiping the creator is is the Sabbath. And this is what makes the Sunday law so bad. To worship a day of a creature and not take upon the very seal of the living God who created the heavens and the earth. God says, who could you compare me to? There's nothing. Nothing in our world. And so the the Sabbath is more than a day of the week. If you give your allegiance to a human being who's fallen instead of the one who's got this infinite mind and power, that's a pretty bad choice. That's a really bad choice. Now, the seal of the living God, we have these statements, Signs of the Times, March twenty second, 1910. The Sabbath of the Fourth Commandment is The seal of the living God. I don't know how you can get more definitive than that. It points to God as the creator and is the sign of his rightful authority over the beings he has made. So when the state and the church combine and they try to exercise an authority that alone belongs to God, that's a false revival, friends. That That is so false and blasphemous. It's not even close. It has no righteousness in it. It's completely evil. Okay. But the seal of the living God is placed upon those who conscientiously keep what? The Sabbath of the Lord. And, as Vera said earlier, the seal of the living God will be placed upon those only who bear a? A perfect character. A likeness in Christ's character. But isn't that the same if I say here are God's people who keep the commandments of God isn't that the same as saying they have the likeness of the character of Christ Amen. Those statements are it's different words but it means the exact same thing because you could only keep the commandments by faith None of us could ever keep these commandments by ourselves It would only be by faith in the sealing power of the Holy Spirit. You see, if I wake up in the morning and I say, I'm going I'm to grit my teeth, you know, boy, I'm going to be a good person today. I'm going to fall on my face. But if I wake up in the morning and I realize my helplessness and that I know that God wants to write his law on my heart and my mind, then I realize that the Holy Spirit has to empower me to do this. In fact, I realize there's probably some other things I need to learn today, right? And so for us to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit, we need to be in our Bibles every day, friends. And we need to specifically ask God, Father, is there something in my life that's unlike Jesus? Because to receive the seal of the living God is to have the character of Christ. So, Father, if there's something in my character that's unlike Jesus, please reveal that to me. Will God answer that kind of prayer? And then as we study his word, we're receiving that, that lessons on righteousness. And we're going in the right direction. We're doing something daily in our preparation for the latter rain. Okay, We need the latter rain, friends, to get out of here. How many still want to be here for the next hundred years? How, would you rather be in heaven where there's no more death, no more sorrow... You see, this has gone on way too long. How many more women have to be raped? How many more people have to die of starvation and disease in this world? How many? And the only way this is going to end is when God have a people who are so zealous for God and they're preparing or preparing and working with the Holy Spirit that they receive the latter rain. That's what ends this, is God being able to put a finishing touch on his own people. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, and I'm going to submit to you that's the first seal, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, and that's a key word in the context, it will come. Indeed, it's already begun. So the shaking, when she wrote this in the year 1900, already started. So we're talking about people receiving the seal of the first seal, the Holy Spirit, working in their life so that we as a people can be a people who have received the truth and we stand firm on the truth so as not to be moved no matter what happens in the world. So, and then she talks about it will come. Indeed, it has already begun. The judgments of God are now upon the land to give us a warning that we may know what is coming. The judgments in the land, an increase of what? Earthquakes, pestilences, wars and rumors of wars. Is all these things increasing? Well, they were increasing in her time, too. They're just increasing a lot more. Okay? Now, I put these dates up here because it used the word shaking. And the word shaking is going to be, whoops, a little bit associated with the idea of separation. In 1844, God had to have a people who physically separated from the fallen churches of Babylon, which is the Protestant churches, and the reason is, is because all these Protestant churches rejected what the three angels' messages. They rejected the twenty three hundred day prophecy. They rejected Jesus' ministry in heaven, and as such, they rejected Jesus' ministry in a most holy place. And there is no most holy place. Jesus is simply at the right hand of the Father. And we say, no, he is in the right hand of the Father, but specifically in the sanctuary and now in the most holy place. But they don't want to accept that because by accepting that, that means that Christians will be judged. And they don't want to believe that. They want to believe only non-Christians are judged. But if you're in that most holy place, what's in the most holy place? The Ten Commandments. So to accept this message... Means that they'd have to accept that the Ten Commandments are still binding, which would include the Sabbath. And none of them wanted to change. They all wanted to keep keeping Sunday. They didn't want to believe the church would be judged, not Christians. And so they rejected this message. They wanted to believe that a thousand years of peace is coming, and we're saying no, seven last plagues are coming. See, we're right. We're theologically right, and they're theologically wrong, and because they rejected the message, even though it was preached to them, they became now fallen churches, the daughters of Babylon the Great. And so there's a separation, there's a shaking now going on in Protestantism. And in that shaking going on in Protestantism, God formed the remnant church. Does everybody see that? And then in 1888, within our own church, there was a shaking going on. And what was that about? The message of righteousness by faith. Some say we accepted the message. There were some in the church that accepted the message of righteousness by faith, but the leadership, by and large, rejected it. And the message of righteousness by faith is that you need, and I need, to keep the law of God, the law of God still binding upon the Christian. To keep all that the righteousness of the law demands, but the law can't give you righteousness. Where do you get righteousness? From Christ himself. The righteous one. See, when I, if, if, if the Ten Commandments was a, a mirror, and I looked at it, and I... It would, or look at me and say, that's not what I'm looking for. But when that Ten Commandments looks at Jesus, what does it say? That's exactly what I'm looking for. That's the life. Now, I need to have that life. Because Jesus lived a life that was in perfect obedience to those Ten Commandments. Now, how does that life get in me? You see, that's the message. And the only way that life gets in me is if Jesus is in me. By the work of the Holy Spirit, who's the teacher of righteousness. Who's righteousness? Christ's righteousness. So the Holy Spirit is uplifting Christ, and we need to have a desire for Christ. That's why we have the book, Desire of Ages. We need to desire Jesus more than anything in this world. And when we're in that mindset, the Holy Spirit can teach us. Have you ever been in a classroom? And I kind of grew up with a little ADD, and the teacher be talking, I'm looking out the window. So I'm not really learning anything, am I? I'm not paying attention. I'm in the classroom, but I'm not learning. I can be in a church. I'm only going to grow a little bit if I don't think much about Christ. I'll grow a little bit in knowledge on some things. But what puts me in the right frame of reference to learn righteousness is while I'm contemplating the life of Christ. And he becomes the one most important in my life. You put somebody before Jesus in your life, there's some things you'll never understand. There'll be some righteousness you'll probably never receive until Christ becomes number one that make sense? So in 1888, Jones and Wagner preached this message that we as a people, to get out of here, we have to keep all that the law demands, but we can't get it from the law itself. We can only get it as Christ is in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So in our church, there are differences of opinion on this. Some don't believe you can have the law written in your heart and keep the law perfectly. Not until we get to heaven. And on the other side, there's some that say, no, we need to be God's commandment-keeping people. It's right there in the scripture. It's part of our description. But even in that camp, you've got two camps. Some who are trying to keep the commandments but can't because they're trying to do it on their own, which is what we actually call legalism. And those who are doing it by faith faith in the work of the Holy Spirit who's already begun to work in me, in teaching me righteousness, and I've got to stay with that program. Because as soon as I become my own teacher, I've lost power. The Holy Spirit needs to keep teaching me and make what I read real in my life. So, so there was a separation, a shaking going on in Protestantism. What are we going to do with William Miller? What are we going to do with this 2300 day prophecy and Jesus' Coming on October 22nd, 1844. And then there was a a shaking going on in Adventism. What do we do with this message of righteousness by faith in 1888? We are in, she wrote this in 1900, we are in the shaking time. The time when everything can be shaken, will be shaken. The Lord will not excuse those who know the truth if they do not in word and deed what? Yeah. Part of the sealing of the Holy Spirit is that all the righteousness we learn is actually incorporated in the life. Book evangelism. The enemy will bring in false theories such as the doctrine that there's no what? Sanctuary. This is one of the points in which there will be a departing from the faith. Has that already happened? Absolutely. And this is why in women's ministry you're studying the sanctuary. I did all kinds. I would say a third of my sermons here have touched on the sanctuary. Because in our church, even if you don't mention a sanctuary, it's like saying there's there is no sanctuary. Even if a person goes up and says no sanctuary, even if he doesn't say that, by never preaching on it, never teaching it, we're essentially saying it's of none effect. You don't need to know this stuff. And then, as the storm approaches, a large class who profess faith in the third angel's message have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position and joined the ranks of the opposition. Part of the shaking that 's going on in our church is what do you do with Ellen White? Is this true that 's part of the shaking there 's a dozen quotes I could put up here, but I only have so much time, right? What do you do with Ellen White? What do you do with the, the testimonies there's some people in favor of reading the testimonies, and some people say i oh, can 't read them at church. you know we 've got other light. But I'm telling you, friends, friends, God gave us a servant to shed light upon our path to prepare us to receive the seal of the living God. It's the the path that we're to be on, and when we go after other, other teachers that aren't according to the word, we lose time. We lose sight. We're almost at an end here. The broken ranks will be filled by those represented by Christ at, as coming in the 11th hour, right? There will be people the 11th hour coming into our church. There are many with whom the Spirit of God is striving. They've already received the seal of the Spirit. They've already been born again. The time of God's destructive judgments is the time of mercy for those who now have no opportunity to learn what is truth. Tenderly will the Lord look upon them. His heart of mercy is touched. His hand is still stretched out to save while the door is closed to those who would not enter. People within our own church. Large numbers will be admitted in these last days and hear the truth for the first time. There's some of you who've heard this message for the first time. And you're here. And others have heard this. They're a third generation Adventist. They've heard it for a long time. And if we don't allow the spirit to change us, many will leave. Part of it's going to leave, but people will come in who are already born again. They just didn't know this truth yet, okay? The honest who have been prevented from hearing the truth now eagerly lay upon it. All fear of their relatives is gone, and the truth alone was exalted to them. They had been hungering and thirsting for truth. It was dear and more precious than life. I asked what had made this great change. An angel answered, it's the latter rain." the refreshment from the presence of the Lord, the loud cry of the third angel. Out there is where most of God's people actually are, in number, than in the Adventist church. There's just way more more of them. And what ultimately gets them to come in, because they're searching for truth, is when God's people start receiving the latter rain. Isn't that what I just said? The other thing is saying, some people, God doesn't bring into our church because we haven't received enough of the Spirit. Does that make sense? And the more we receive of the Spirit, which means the more we're like Jesus, then God can entrust us with more people. And the latter rain is about ready to fall. And when it falls, I'm telling you, friends... There will be people who leave, and there will be a whole lot of people, more of them, coming in. Because they're looking for truth. Okay. And if we have more of the spirits, because we have more of Jesus, and then people will recognize that. Okay? We've talked about that. And uh so let me uh oh, let me just close with this beautiful scene. This is an amazing scene. When the third angel's message closes, mercy no longer pleads for the guilty inhabitants of the earth. And that's coming. The people of God have accomplished their work. They have received the latter rain, the refreshing of the presence of the Lord, and they are prepared for the trying hour before them. Angels are hastened to and fro to heaven. And notice this, an angel returning from the earth announces that his work is what? I want you to imagine that scene. Angels are right now in a fury to try to reach as many people as they can to get God's people active for us to receive the latter rain. All this. But there's going to come a day and an hour when that angel ascends to heaven and it's done. The work is done. The final test has been brought upon the world. What's the test? It's going to be the Sunday law. Choosing between the authority of God and the authority of man. It is about authority. This isn't just about a day of worship. It's about whose authority do you recognize. The final test has been brought upon the world and all who have proved themselves loyal to the divine precepts have received what? Then notice that next word. Then. Imagine this solemn scene. Then Jesus ceases his intercession in the sanctuary above. He lifts his hands with a loud voice, says, It is done. And all the angelic hosts, billions, lay off their crowns as he makes the solemn announcement, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. There's something amazing About that, and something very sad. What's amazing is that over this 6,000 years, this controversy finally, finally is over. Everybody's made their decision. But what's sad, of the 8 billion plus people in our world, the vast majority of them, that's it. No more mercy. And the best thing we can do for them is to be more like Jesus, to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to do the work of the sealing message, of sealing out sin, and sealing in righteousness, so that we finally become that people who are prepared to receive the latter rain, and then receive the seal of the Living God. And the more you're more, the more you're like Jesus, the more people can make a right decision. It's still up to them. It's not your fault or responsibility, but our responsibility is to serve God with all our heart, mind, and soul and, and to witness, right? And we give people the best opportunity to make an intelligent decision in the end of time. So may every one of us realize that the work that the Holy Spirit begun in us needs to continue. This is a daily work of putting ourselves in the right frame of mind to be taught. One of the greatest attributes of being a Christian is being teachable. But when you feel like you've arrived and there's nothing more to learn, you stunt your growth. Be teachable, be humble, be a student of God's Word, realize your need for divine help. And the more you realize your weakness, the stronger you can be in Christ. Before we have our closing prayer, our closing hymn, we'll have our closing hymn. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for that promise seed that can be placed in our hearts and for the The watering influence of the Holy Spirit to allow the life of Jesus to germinate in our life and to grow. Father, help us to become mature in Christ. That we may be preparatory of receiving that latter rain that puts those perfecting touches on our character. That will help others to make better decisions. And prepare us for a most wonderful seal. The seal of the living God the seal of the Sabbath, the seal of your law, that is a sign that we belong to you and we've made a choice that you are our Father. So, Father, continue to grace us with your presence during these sacred hours, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.